Welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. We're back. Uh, summer is here, ladies and gentlemen. It's officially started for the Irish in Sweden and in Scandinavia because we've had the first Gaelic football tournament of the year. And even at the age of 50 years old and playing the game and being interested in the game and watching the game for most of my life, I'm still learning things about it. And this weekend I learned that I am probably the worst loser in the world, right? I really, really, really hate losing. So we went off down to Copenhagen. Um, this was the first Nordic GEA tournament post-pandemic, and we went off down to Copenhagen, and it was just, it was brilliant to arrive down there. I went down to my good friends in Malmö. We got the train down there, myself and my daughter, Sirsha, and we stayed in Malmö overnight, and we got up the next morning, got the train over to Copenhagen, uh, jumped off the airport, jumped in a taxi, and we went out to Klovemaken. Klovemaken is kind of like Yarded here in Stockholm, um, or there's a few places like it in Gothenburg, or like Limhamsfeltet in Malmö, where there's a load of different fields, mostly for soccer, because the Danes are useless and everything else. And we went there, and we arrived, and there was like, you know, these white, they call them party tents in Swedish, right? You know those sort of two or three metre by two or three metre tents uh, with four legs and a roof and a white thing dragged over it? And they're just all lined up there, and there was clubs there from Berlin and from Prague and Copenhagen. Malmo and Gothenburg had got together for the day and put together a really good team, actually, has to be said. And we started playing football. Now, we sent down uh, two really good teams from Stockholm's women and Stockholm's men went down there. But there was an awful lot of uh, of new players, right? So we had certain players who have been around for a long time, including me, good self, and there certain players who were new. And it just never worked for the men's team. We just, we just couldn't get it together at all. And... At times we played, the first half of the first game, we played reasonably well. I remember we scored one goal straight from the throw-in. I think that was against Helsinki in the second half or something like that. But it just never really motored at all. And it just, it drove me mad. So I am taking this opportunity, this early, two minutes and 15 seconds into the podcast this week, to apologise to everybody for being such a knacky bastard the whole weekend. But it was a magnificent experience. Now, the men came, in the men's competition, I think we came fifth out of five teams. Odense from Denmark won it. They were really 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 good they won the final I think it was against Helsinki and uh, or no sorry Helsinki I think came fourth then Malmo beat them and uh, Copenhagen were in there as well I can't remember the exact statistics that's how bad of a loser I am right they don't go and memorise every score and every point like Niles Gullion used to do but yeah, so it was a wonderful experience and it was great to herald the start of the summer. Um, I don't know where the GA is going to go next from here because there was plans to have a tournament in Odense, but it's very difficult to get to and it's very expensive to get to as well if we're going to do another one, say, before midsummer. So that's kind of up in the air and I leave that to the people who are still involved. I'm no longer the chairperson there. I hope you are well. I hope uh, the snow has melted from your tumped, from your little bit of, little patch of land or from outside your apartment or your student flat. Uh, I hope you're getting out in the fresh air and getting a bit of exercise and... Uh, all the, the terraces of wonderful bars like Veerstums are open again, so I hope you're getting out and, uh, and meeting people. This week's episode is, uh, there's a couple of different things going on here, right? One is an interview with Paddy Kelly. He's up first. Paddy is the man who wrote the book We Can Swedish, which started out as an exercise in examining uh, the love Swedes have of writing advertising copy in English with no help from native speakers, leading to hilarious and often tragic results. So talk to Paddy about that. That book is in the shops now, and he'll tell you about an event that's coming up in Stockholm. And then a little bit later on, you're going to hear from Neil Costigan. Now, Neil is one of those people that I think I've known him for, I actually have known him for probably three 
almost three and a half decades at this point in time, right? Because he lived, he's from Carlow, but he lived at the end of my street in Dunny County. I grew up on Belton Park Road there. And he knows, and we know a lot of people, you know, who are involved in, in punk rock and in music in the late, late 80s and early 90s there. But Neil, as you know, he's not exactly corporate Neil now. He's still a punk rocker at heart, right? But he's had not one, but two startups that have went on to be bought out, you know, reaching the holy grail of any startup is to be bought up by a huge corporation. And that happened recently with a company that he started here with two, I think it was two other lads called Behaviosick. And even if you've never heard of them, you've come into contact with their technology. But I really wanted to talk to Neil about starting a business, about being in a, in a startup business, because starting a business and a startup are, you know, kind of two different expressions. So within the technology field and that. But um, we'll take that a little bit later on. He's given out to me, right? He was going, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody needs to hear a big long interview. But yeah, they do, right? Uh, there's some great words for Enterprise Ireland and there's some great tips and there's some great experiences there that I think you're really going to enjoy hearing. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's hear from Paddy. His book, We Can English, is out right now on Lease for Log. And this is uh, how that book came to be. a book as the saying goes in north dublin how did your <laughs> idea come about my friend i did i did um yeah it was a long story and a short story the long story was since i got here i was kind of obsessed by these strange posters with english on them that the swedes seem to love and um not wrong with that of course but the, the fact that a lot of them were kind of a bit weird and so i started just taking photographs of them and sharing them down the pub and having a laugh with my friends about you know what do they mean here but then um, I was on Twitter last year and I just got in contact with uh, Sophie from the, who you talked to, from the, from Lease for Dog. And almost as a joke, uh, it just came up like, yeah, we should make a book of these. And Sophie said, yeah, you should. So we got in touch and we started chatting and pretty fast we decided we'd just do a book. And how do you sort of, you know, how do you turn a bunch of photographs that you take for, you know, for humor purposes, you know, to, to have a laugh with your friends? How do you turn that into a book, Paddy? How much writing is in that? That, that took, took a while to get the, the sort of the tone right, but we decided that you can't just really present a bunch of pictures and say, look at these, these daft. So we decided we'd make it more about my life here and like the, my journey from Ireland to Sweden, becoming Swedish, understanding Sweden, and kind of getting at the thing that English in Sweden isn't really English, it's, it's Swedish English, and you have to kind of understand that and you know, accept it. And so it became like a combination of, a book of pictures, a book of funny anecdotes about my life in Sweden mm. at the same time. And I mean, the obvious next question is, how did you wind up here and writing books and doing all the other things that you do here? Uh, well, I, 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 was, I was trying to have like a funny answer for this, but I mean, it's 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 the, the common answer. I met a girl in pub in Dublin. <laughs> yeah, got to be careful of that, man. It's a minefield, isn't it? It's a minefield. There's fellas all over the place here telling the same story this, this evening in pubs, you know? Yeah. Do you remember, Fibbers, that... remember Fibbers in Dublin? I walked past it there recently. I think it's yeah. still there, is it? Is it still it is still there, actually. Yeah. It's still there, yeah. I was staying in a hotel around the corner from it there, but you, you bumped into some young lady there, and that was it. She changed her life forever. I used I used to work there in uh, in the early 90s. Uh, I, I gave out leaflets. Mm. Uh, used to drive me to, like, sort of cold corners of Dublin and stand there for two hours at leaflets, giving them out to people. Mm. 
And then you go back to the club afterwards. So I met her in the club in Pibbers. That was a that was a cool enough place back then. There was all sorts of Nirvana being played there and Pearl Jam. It was, and... it was the coolest I've ever been working in Pibbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame it doesn't last, you know. It's all downhill from there. Uh, is is this woman still in your life, Paddy? No, no, no. I think it's pretty standard that you come here with one woman and you change her out after a few years for, for someone else. Yeah, no, I, my one has kept me, thankfully, because I wouldn't oh, be. Right. No, okay. Nobody likes change in that way, you know. But when you wound up over here, when did you, did it take a long time to get to Sweden or for her to convince you to come here? Uh, I met her in 95 and then I was studying, I, I did a H-dip, like a teaching qualification shortly after that. And when that was done, I kind of had no plan. So she said, I'm going back to Sweden, come to Sweden. Hmm. So I came over here in 97. Now, was that one of those come to Sweden, let's go to Stockholm, or was it let's come to the back arse of nowhere and you're going to have to learn to live there? No, it was it was Stockholm, so. You were lucky in that case, yeah. A bit easier since you had like a bit of a network around. Yeah. Back at, back at that time, I mean, it wasn't the situation that we have now where there's a lot of the international English schools and, you know, somebody like yourself who had a qualification to teach would probably stroll into a job here now. What was it like for you when you got here then? Uh, the first few months, I just basically tried to look for work. Um, I got work pretty fast. I got a job in Berlitz teaching English since I had a, I had a teaching qualification and I had a, a TEFL course. So it was mm. easy enough to get, get a job as an English teacher. Mm. Was it something you enjoyed doing teaching English or was it just a way to pay the bills? It was fine. I, I didn't mind it, to be honest. Mm. I never, never saw it as a career as such, but um, I thought it was fun. It was badly paid too. <laughs> it was badly paid, was it? Oh, great. But you know, it did. Um, does that mean, as somebody who's taught English in the past, especially to Swedes, does that make it even more offensive when you see some of the things that you've seen on advertising hoardings and in copywriting around Sweden? I wouldn't really call it offensive. It's more like a face, <laughs> face palm situation. Like, oh, God. <laughs> it doesn't what's really it, me up that much. But, um, what's your, what's your favourite example of it? I was actually talking to some person during the week about that. I think slut is, is my best example. Uh, like, just for the listeners, the word S-L-U-T is a uh, end in Swedish. So it's used yeah. to mean like that something has run out, that a movie is finished, that something isn't available anymore. But of course, we have our own um, meaning for that word. And it's just kind of hilarious to see it just splashed up and all the... <laughs> splashed up so, everywhere. Yeah. But of course... That, but that's, that's not the same. That's yeah. just a Swedish word that we take to English. But um, uh, the one that you see most often, it's easiest to spot, is uh, the news when... When a shop has a new sort of line of something in, they'll put up mm. a poster in English to say news in. <laughs> mm. Which is Nyheter in Swedish is, yeah. is yeah. news and it's something new as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's just an accent in Sweden that both words are the same, but in English they're slightly different. So yeah. How much of that is accidental, Paddy? And how much of it is them making a play on words, do you think? I'd say it's a bit of both. Um you'd, you'd see a lot of stuff that's clearly just using English in a way that appeals to Swedes, either that it reflects a phrase they know or that it's, it's easier for them to say it or mm. so I mean, I can understand that like English as written by Swedes quite often is their own kind of English. Yeah. But you do see mistakes. Um, I think that the best examples if you in the book are when someone tries to say something in English, but they end up saying the exact opposite because of the way they phrase it. Yeah. And, and is, is there any good examples of where it's gone badly wrong in that way if it's spring to mind? Can't think of one in the book. There's the one about um. There's an ice cream ad where the the text just makes absolutely no sense at all. Um, <laughs> I just have no idea what they're trying to say. I mean, they, but they have a picture of ice cream, so you know, like, oh, it's ice cream. That's fine. But there was a, there's one I posted on Twitter um a while back. 
from a bus stop where they were trying to tell you that this bus stop is under repair, please use the temporary bus stop. Mm-hmm. But the way they say it in English and the words they use says the exact opposite, as in this bus stop is under repair. There is a temporary bus stop. Please use this bus stop. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's, yeah. So please use this, but meaning the temporary word, but it's actually, yeah. you know, but yeah. No, I get, I get how that could go wrong, you know. Um, are these things dangerous, Paddy? Because I'm just thinking we're after coming out of a pandemic here for the last two years. And at the beginning of the pandemic, if you remember, people talked about how information was communicated to non-Swedish speakers, you know. Mm. Have you come across anything in public life that you found particularly egregious? I mean, not dangerous. I mean, I think the, the, the people who most make it hard to communicate in English are English speakers. <laughs> you think so? We've only ourselves to blame, basically. Yeah. No, I can't think of any example where it's actually been dangerous. Um, maybe it's different for speakers of other languages than English. I'm not sure. Hmm. I think the problem with English is that most Swedes assume their English is perfect. And it's very, very good. But yeah. very, very good isn't the same as perfect. So they don't take the same level of care, I think, when they translate English. In terms of writing, I mean, uh, has, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've written a lot of science fiction and that kind of thing in your time, have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how did that come about? Because, you know, like it was one of those things that, I mean, we've known each other for a long time now. We've been in each other's spheres for a long time. Mm-hmm. When did you start writing that and where can people find those books? Um, I mean, I started writing, actually, I remember when I started writing, I wrote, started writing after I saw Empire Strikes Back in 1980. So I, I wrote um, my own version of Empire Strikes Back, which was terrible. Um, that was, you know, it's a fairly ambitious project in fairness here. <laughs> it was short, short and terrible. But um, as stuff I've had published, I have a lot of articles published in various places. The local and Irish Times did one a few years ago. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of books, I had a few stories published in magazines, but the novels I have are on the Amazon store. They're self-published. I've been trying to get an agent for my fiction for a long time, but it's, it's, it's a very hard. It's a hard business. Mm-hmm. But they're all on Amazon. So if you look up Paddy Kelly, you'll find them on Amazon. How was that process? You don't find Paddy Kelly, the, the German folk singer, because he's the other guy with my name. Yeah, he's not He's not you. He's just misappropriating your name and putting out terrible folk music, presumably. Uh, how do you find that process? Because, you know, th- previously there was always this thing of, you know, the publisher is the gatekeeper, right? If you wrote a book and you wanted it to have it published, you would have to go to somebody who had a big printing press and that kind of thing. But the advent of the internet 2.0 or 3.0, whatever it is now, it makes it much easier. If you have something, you say, okay, I can publish it myself and make it available to the whole world. Is it as easy as that? How have you found that process? It's it's easy. I mean, when I started, started doing it 10 years ago, and it was a bit harder then, but it was still not that hard. And now it's, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kindle store, especially, it's not that hard to put your book up there. The, the problem is it's not going to sell. Almost none of them sell. Is that so right, yeah? You have to be really, really lucky. And, you know, most people aren't. Yeah. And what is it that, that sort of stops you from building an audience? Because like you say, I mean, Amazon is basically Walmart for the world, right? You can find mm-hmm. everything on there, you know? Is it, is it down to marketing? Is it down to your own personal brand as a writer? What would make... It's like, large. Different? That's a large part of it. I know a couple of self-published writers who work really hard in their marketing and their mailing lists and stuff. And they, they do well. But it's, it's work. It's a job. And I'm just too lazy, to be honest. <laughs> I want to give the book to an agent and she said, that's lovely. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that now. I'll do all the other shit. You don't have to do anything at all. Yeah. Well, essentially, exactly. that's what happened with your friends at Least for Log when you came along with this simple idea. Were you surprised when they said, OK, we'd like to publish We Can English? I was a bit surprised. Um, but, I mean, looking at the, the they're niched in the kind of Swedish cultural, quirky Swedish cultural facts area. Mm-hmm. So it actually fits in there portfolio pretty well when you think about it mm. but i mean once we hit on the idea of telling anecdotes from my life to explain the images it, it kind of was easy enough to write them yeah 
Um, how did it feel sitting down to tell those anecdotes? Because, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe I'd rather not tell that story, but it's also integral to me being here. Was, did, was it, a, you know, did you have to reveal much about yourself in that process? Uh, I mean, it's a mixture of fiction and reality. So I'm not going to say what is fiction, what is reality. That's up to the reader to decide. So you're telling me there's lies in there, Paddy. Yeah. There's a, there could be a few lies. <laughs> possible. It is possible. But as, as I, I heard this years ago from a writer who said, if, you, if you're about to write something down and you think, I can't write that down, that's too much, then that's exactly the thing you have to write down. Exactly. Because that's yeah. the thing that's going to resonate with people. Mm. And did you adhere to that in the process of writing your own book? No. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet, that's it. Um, was it a great moment for you, Paddy? I mean, I remember the very first time, that the first book that I wrote, when somebody handed me a physical copy of it, I went, yeah. You know, like that was one of those moments where I felt good about myself. It was one of those things that I've always wanted to do. And then how was that moment for you? Was it something that you look forward to? Or some people also find it very underwhelming. Um, I think I'd, I'd been living with the book in, for so long because you see, like, first you see the cover suggestion, then you see the, the advanced reader copy, and you see like the various versions. When you get the actual first version of the book, I, mean, I, did, I did an unboxing video because I felt this is the book. I have to do a video here. But yeah, I'd seen it so many times by then that it was a little bit underwhelming. That was just my own. I, I'd been with it for so long, you know. You'd just be worn out by the whole process it, by it, the end of it. It's become more whelming now, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> As people start sharing it on Twitter and like showing, oh, I read this book, it's great. You start to feel a bit, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's really great. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing when it turns up in places that are unexpected, you know, somebody you haven't seen for years or, you know, some celebrity or somebody retweets it and go, oh, you know, who's this fellow Paddy Kelly who's done this, you know? What has the response been like to the book? I've had a few comments on Twitter and people have liked it. Um, I mean, people are very nice. They'll always tell you when they like something. Um, yeah. <laughs> What, what about when they don't like it? Has anybody taken offense at you having a poke at their, like a, a joyous little poke at their copywriting skills? That's my fear, actually, that someone is going to think, here's here's a foreigner telling Swedes their English is shite, which is not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm telling Swedes very nicely, your English is very Better good. Hours, yeah. But you can't assume it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody's been in touch with you yet to say, hey, you, you miserable bastard. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> not yet, no. I know. Where can people get the book, Paddy? And is there any plans to bring it out on tour? Is there plans for a podcast around it? Is there plans for a movie version of The Empire Strikes Back that you wrote all those years ago? Well, I hope. <laughs> I'd be in trouble with Mr. Lucas. In that case, actually, <laughs> Disney at this point. Um, we're doing, uh, we have an award ceremony. We, we did a little prize along with the book, the Golden Can Award, which is kind of your own version of the, the Golden Turkey concept. Mm -hmm. Find the best, worst uh, English Swedish advertising and then give them an award. Super. So that's it. That's in two weeks from now, and that's in Southside. Uh, so you can just turn up. It's basically the book launch as well, more or less. But it's okay. Uh, what what date is that on? That's eighteenth uh, of Wednesday, the eighteenth of May. Wednesday, the eighteenth of May. Stick that in your diaries, ladies and gentlemen. Wednesday, the eighteenth of May, the Golden Can Award. And I take it the great and good of Swedish society will be there. Has the king responded to his invitation? The king is being a bit tardy. Uh, we'll, we'll put some more pressure on him there and see if we can get that to happen. Okay, you heard it here first. The king may be in attendance there as well. And it's at the Dublin or South Side, which is down there by Zinkens Dam, isn't it? The South Side, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. What's, the, what's the next on the, now that you've got one book physically in your hand that was very underwhelming, what's the next thing that you have in your <laughs> it was, agenda? It was very whelming. It just, um, <laughs> it just takes a while to get used to. I wasn't whelmed at the right moment. When I got it, I'd seen it so often that I, I you know, I'd become used to it at that point. But now I'm very whelmed. And yeah. so, I know you can't see this because I'm... <laughs> yeah, Paddy, Paddy's holding up a copy of the book there. The proud father of this particular book. But now that I that's sleep, with it, sleep with it in my arms. <laughs> um, 
uh, next book, I mean, as a writer, I was working on stuff. I'm working on, there's a novella I'm working on at the moment, and there's a few more book ideas I'm, I'm working on, and I have a bunch of books in the drawer. Uh, but they're all fiction, so um, I actually mm. quite really enjoyed writing non-fiction. It was, it was very funny. Yeah. Was, it, was there a, a difference to you in the process of how that goes about, you know, because, I mean, non-fiction is basically all lies. You get to make up everything if you want, you know? It was just more fun to write. I mean, I like I like writing fiction, but it, it, it can be hard because just writing the kind of like essay writing is just fun i think mm. you get what, to use your own voice directly and that's nice what, what do you find hard about fiction i think i've i've been overexposed to to fiction workshops and i've gone to lots of writers workshops and read lots of books about how to write it and when you've read too much about a subject you just kind of get paralyzed <laughs> i think mm. it's theory should be better but it's just harder to start it's kind of like that wood for the trees thing, though, as well, though. You know, you get so many different ways. Oh, think about this, do that, you know, ask these three questions, yada, 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 you know. When eventually what you really need to do is sort of, you know, uh, what was that said? Oh, writing is the process of uh, sitting at a keyboard until drops of blood start to form on your forehead, kind of thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Do you find it difficult to find the motivation to write, Paddy? It doesn't sound like you do. I, I realized quite early that years ago, actually, that if the first few hours of the day, my brain isn't really on. So I can't have a conversation. I can't have a run, but I can write really well. I think because okay. the critical part of my brain isn't working at that point. So mm. I can get up in the morning, sit down with a coffee, just like slam away for two hours and actually get a lot done. Yeah. Then my brain wakes up and starts to criticize me saying, that's shy. No, don't, don't write that. Mm. So then you go to work instead, basically. Hmm? And then you go to work instead. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but if I get up early and start to write immediately, I, I'm, I have no problem writing. Brilliant. And uh, finally, where do you think the next book is going to come from? Are you going to publish a fiction one or a non-fiction one? And do you have any ideas in non-fiction from your experiences in Sweden that you'd like to write about? I have a few ideas, actually. So I actually really enjoyed writing non-fiction. It was, it was very cathartic in a way. Mm. So I'd like to do that again. I wouldn't mind seeing your dissertation on the word logom and how it doesn't exist in other languages, despite the fact that it does exist. But that might be a conversation for another day. It's in the shops now. We can English Paddy Kelly. And on the 18th of May at Dublin or Southside, the Golden Can Award. And everybody is welcome, especially the King, if he's listening to this podcast. And let's face it, we all know he is. But for now, Paddy Kelly, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you very much. This is a Swedish director. Swedish. A Swedish. A Swedish, Swedish director. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn? Any uh, any cool you know, like Swedish terms? Swedish word. Yeah. No, he's you know I don't know what's a canoodle. Ca canoodle. There's certain words that you just start to you. I don't. Canoodle think is a Swedish word. I canoodle -a, guess. Canoodle. Yeah. Isn't it? Canoodle. -a, canoodle. But you know, then you start using it for anything. Like, don't you get canoodly with me? Well, it's funny. They also use it in the uh, in the tabloids all the time. They're always talking about celebrities canoodle. We're seen canoodling in a bar. Yes. And I think it, you know uh, it's such a. It's such a weird term. It's a big it's, word, though, isn't it? It's fun. Sounds like they're just, like, making pasta together or something. It's just like... <laughs> Whatever about English fails, that was Jennifer Aniston and uh, Conan O'Brien really kind of failing to get to the bottom of the word knudla, uh, which... Um, Go look it up. I'm not going to explain it here. And if your kids that kind of grown up here and you're, you're listening to this podcast, I'm really sorry for what I have just uh, dropped on you. Now, Ken McHugh has been in touch from Ireland to tell us that Irish blues band Crazy Crow will be taking part in the European Blues Union event, which is taking place in Malmö 
from the 2nd to the 4th of June, right? It's taking place at the Clarion Malmo Live, which is a newly built hotel and cultural centre which opened in 2015, right next to Melrose Central Station there. So Crazy Crow going to be playing down there. I think the pre-event uh, concert will be held at Cuban, which is one of the locations there. And uh, the Blues Challenge itself will take place in the concert hall. A little bit about Crazy Crow. They're described as an Irish band based in Dublin, Ireland. Energetic, dynamic sound. Influenced by the likes of John Hyatt, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton and Bonnie Raitt. Right? No samples, no messing around. They have a 12-track album called Moving On, which is out. And the lads will be playing live down in Malmo sometime at that European Blues Union event from the 2nd to the 4th. Highly recommended. Good Irish blues, hard to beat. Uh, remember, of course, that this is a listener-supported podcast and that it is supported by Veerstrom's Pub, where blues is very, very popular music indeed. If you go into their uh, webpage or onto their Facebook or onto their Instagram, you'll find that there's live blues several nights a week there in Veerstrom's Pub. And I'm very, very grateful to Martin and the crew at Veerstrom's who support this podcast every month. If you want to join them and support the podcast every month, you can go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. Please do, right? Because things have sort of fallen off a cliff a little bit in terms of those donations. Really great if we can get, you know, a, you know, a couple of dozen more people involved so they can keep bringing you these podcasts because right now there's more and more work going on with Sweden joining NATO and back travelling again and that. So it's getting harder and harder to find the time to do these podcasts. I want to keep doing them, but um, we have to keep the lights on here as well. So our patreon.com, our man in Stockholm is the best place to go for that. If you want it, you can switch the show. The number there is 123-2424166. 123-2424166. Now... Uh, I can't go to venture capitalists looking for money, but that's what Neil Costigan has done not once but twice, right? So uh, Neil is above it, Lulio. He's a person that I've known for quite a long time, going back decades, right? Because Neil actually used to live at the end of my street in Dunny Kearney, and we used to hang around with an awful lot of the same people in the burgeoning Dublin punk scene of the late 1980s and early 90s. Neil came over here about five years later to Sweden and set up here, uh, working in a bar in Uppsala, and then moved up to Lulio. But he's somebody that I've known pretty much ever since then, and he has a fascinating story of you know coming from that punk rock background but then going and building two companies that eventually were bought up by bigger companies um if you're into business if you're into technology if you're into you know lifestyle if you're into entrepreneurship any of that kind of thing this is a fascinating conversation and well worth your time because uh, neil is one of few people who's done this not once but twice so i caught up with him last week to have a chat about his company behavior sec which has recently been picked up by a bigger company not too many details about the actual transaction itself because these things are very sensitive but he told me the whole story of how he got to the point where he managed to sell not one but two companies to the big fish from the other side of the pond I suppose on this podcast we always have to start with the obvious question but it sets the scene so we'll keep using how on earth did you wind up in Sweden um the, you know when I left college in in 92 uh one of the only places employing people was Ericsson uh and uh I I didn't go there uh, but I actually ended up meeting a Swedish uh, uh, lady in Dublin and, and followed her home and then turned up to be one of the many Ericsson guys in, in Stockholm back in, in 94 or so. Uh, I, I tagged along. Um, but so, yeah, I followed a pretty girl home. So it was the Ericsson route, but not necessarily as many others have taken it kind of thing. E- exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, so back, then, back then, that's all there was back, you know, in town. So. 
That's what I was going to say, because if you were qualifying with any sort of, you know, computers, engineering back at that time, like there literally only was Ericsson. When you came over here then, how easy was it for you to find something to do? Um, well, I, I did two years in Dublin with, uh, with what is now Aircom. Uh, so I'd kind of come with two years experience post degree as well. Um, uh, but no, like in the classic Swedish way, you know, you get a job offer. Yes, you're very welcome to start with us in six months time. But we all needed to work on Monday morning. So uh, I worked in, uh, I, w I arrived in Uppsala and I worked the bars. I, I worked in uh, Norland's Nation, the student bar in Uppsala for a bit. Um, uh, but I was about three months, I think, before I found my feet. I found a really good job in a kind of uh, computing research place in, in Stockholm. It was out in uh, Solskjaerbaden. So I used to commute from Uppsala to Solskjaerbaden, the worst commute I've ever, ever Holy shit. For those who don't know, right? Solskjaerbaden, <laughs> you basically have to get to Slussen and then get on a bus and basically grow old every single day when you're getting there. From Uppsala, it was a bike from the students' places in Uppsala to the railway station. It was the hour-long train from Uppsala to Stockholm. Then it was uh, the uh, Tonobana to get from uh, uh, Tisentralen over to Slussen. Then get on the... The, that Bana thing they had, whatever they call the it. South Cabana, yeah, the South tram. Cabana, kind of out to there, and I was out to a station here, and at the end of the side, then at about at about a you know a twenty minute walk, and I do that over and back. It was it was, but the, actually it was one of those ones. Of course, we didn't have networks and mobile phones and iPads and all sorts of fancy commuting devices. So I've never read so much in, <laughs> as I did then, and actually unbelievably was, smart after doing that for a few years. No, no, actually career wise, uh, I kind of had a little discipline. I do a. I do a, a contemporary fiction, you know, some Irish history stuff, and then a workbook. But I wouldn't allow myself to get onto the next one until I uh, finished the mm. one I'd done. And so I actually read, read a ton of stuff that I always put down to. I know that from that time of actually studying. It's like my own private university on those trains. But what time would you be getting up at in the morning to make it from oh, Uppsala to South Carolina? I, 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 I shudder to remember. I kind of remember feeling one time that I just got home and then I just turned around and went back again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of feeling. But it made no Alexis, and I sound, it sounds like it was crazy. It was only for a few months that we found, found our feet. And mm -hmm. so I moved to Souther uh, around in 93 sometime in Southern Man, Stockholm. And actually, believe it or not, after all these years, I've, I've an apartment, a small apartment up the street from that. Uh, uh, you know, here we are 30 years or whatever it is later. So... And you still have your apartment there, do we do? Yeah, yeah. There's a shoebox um, 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 across the road from the Big Ben, if you know that part of town. Yeah, it, it, I mean it, those it, those small plan. apartments are very common on Souther, but they're also very sought after. You know, mostly because people don't want to commute from fucking Uppsala most of the time. You know, <laughs> there you go. Well, we're kind of commuting from 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 Lulio, you know. So uh, you know, it's there. <laughs> it's, it's 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 there for that really um, at any one time. You know. I was just thinking that you've read an awful lot of books, which I really haven't learned your lesson, have you? <laughs> <laughs> and how did the, the move down to Lulio come about? Um, well, actually, so we were in Stockholm uh, kind of 94 until 98, 99 or so. And then uh, doing the same thing, we had a startup idea, myself and some buddies back then, and we flipped it out to Silicon Valley. So I moved it to San Francisco for a couple of years, about mm. 99, 2000. Uh, and we got acquired and I moved to headquarters in uh, the south of France. I was down near Marseille and near Aix-en-Provence for, for a while. Uh, again, bounce around the world, kind of commuting up and down, uh, you know, at those days. Uh, and after that, uh, we moved back to Dublin. So I was in Dublin for, for about five, six years then in, uh, in uh, whatever it was. Uh, the, the middle of the Celtic Tiger, basically. Well, yeah, and, and I was a student. I'd, I'd kind of quit the rat race and gone back to university. So it was, it was me being a student in the middle of the Celtic Tiger watching the boom and fall mm -hmm. apart, just as I'd seen in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, but then we started a family. 
and once you start a family, you know the the the, the quality of life uh, aspect of Sweden. Uh, you know, with all the things that you wouldn't normally concern yourself with, as a as as a, as a you know young adult or whatever, when you start looking at housing and education and healthcare and, and and just being close to family and stuff like that. But it was on the back too of of having a stuga. We bought a stuga many many years ago up here in the north, and uh, just the quality of life in the summer being around that you know the it, it was fantastic so so instead of finding clamoring to figure out how do you get your vacation how do you get up here to the stuga actually kind of basing yourself out of here and, and you know, living here all the time was kind of what happened but i was doing my uh, phd in, in dcu in dublin and one of the things when you're doing kind of advanced studies uh, in ireland because of the, the kind of gene pool or the size of the network it, it, it's kind of part part of the deal that you do some time abroad yeah. Um, so I managed to get a slot or a research slot at the university in Lulio. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, you know, I was there for a year that became many years. Uh, it was really what happened. Mm. Is your partner from that part of Sweden then? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of not, not the kind of place that you just sort of throw a dart at a dartboard or at a map and just go, yeah, OK, let's move there. Well, well, as you know, there's quite a lot of young Irish lads here at the moment who didn't throw a dart, but was kind of sent here. They, they <laughs> so, were kind of thrown at it, weren't they? <laughs> thrown at it. I love meeting them. Uh, I remember meeting my, uh, years ago, I met some young Irish lad in a bar, and he just had to turn to me and go, where am I, and why doesn't the sun go down? You know, like, and he genuinely had no idea. Starts with the basics, like. <laughs> yeah, we arrived here. Uh, but it is fun. It's great to see the Irish community here booming with the, not just the Irish community, the international language-speaking community, should I say, uh, booming on the back of, of having so many young people around, uh, you know, the the number of hotels has quadrupled, the number of bars, restaurants, social activities, things going on, uh, you know, Lulu is definitely booming. Yeah. It's quite a change the last few years. Um, how much of a change is that for you then? Because there was yourself and, and Tony and like one or two other Irish people that far north. The rest of us, you know, as always, you had to come to Stockholm to hang out with us. We'd never go up to you. Kind of yeah. thing. But now <laughs> on, on every street corner, there's a lad who's over there working, building a data center. You, you say that like it's a good thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a change. Well, actually, we, we, we engrossed ourselves. There's quite an active uh, international English-speaking community here, purely from the fact that we are so out of the loop. Um, uh, and when you mix us in, particularly with the Australians uh, and, uh, and that, there's a lot here with the mining. The university is very international. The mining industry up here is, is very international, particularly with Australians. Uh, and we'd have that community. I think at one time I counted like 150 of us or so. And we'd look after Paddy's Day and, and, and the, you know, the Aussies would look after Anzics and the Americans would joy for it. And we'd, we'd have a network of English-speaking events. But that extended into other activities. My, my daughter still plays board games with some Canadian, in English, with, with a Canadian guy runs the club. And then there's, 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 there's a, you know, Dutch and English and uh, Irish uh, in that little game club as well. So you just kind of muster together when you're in that parish far from home. Hmm. Oh, that was nice. I like the way you got that in there, you know. Got in there, huh? <laughs> About the Irish community now, though, you know, because th- there's two things that you sort of see. One is I always worry about the mental health of people who wind up in places like that because the sun either doesn't go up or go down, you know. So yeah. do they have a sort of a social outlet for themselves? And the other thing is, you know, what, what kind of thing do people do? Is it sort of solely around the bars and restaurants there or is there anything outside of that that's happened with the Irish community? Well, it's enough. I, I said when you run into them, you can kind of clock them into two or three little categories. You you get the you get the young fellas that are uh, all I want to do is see see you know see the Dubs play on Sunday and what bar has it. Uh, you get the ones who goes, hey, what do you do at the weekend, or where do I rent skis, or what's the story with how far is Norway, and and really get into the whole idea of it, you know. 
And mm. so you, you kind of feel the chats like that. And I, I've also met, uh, you know, the guy who kind of goes, well, I'm out here to make some money. Uh, the missus coming over next weekend and kind of laying low until that. And they're, mm. they're part of that. There's a there's an economic reason why they're out. Uh, and so it, 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 it mixes around. Um, as you know, there's the uh, the activity around football. Um, I, I was up with a massive Northern Lights night here one night. Um, well, as happens, but it was one of those nights where it was clear that I actually went to my daughter, jump in the car and we'll get up to the up on top of the ski hill. And there's, a, there's near us, there's some ski hill. And as I pull up anyway, a couple of vans arrive in and a whole bunch of lads jump out and they're all in their busy vests and boots and stuff and they're up in the hill and there must have been 30 guys the, the phone had gone out that there was massive activity and there we are standing on a hilltop looking over Lulio with the sky completely green uh, and everybody wondering at it and it is amazing to see the Northern Lights but before you know it a, fun, a bunch of them had the, the kind of ski not buckets kind of thing you can kind of bat down the ski hill on, on, on bags and, 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 and these, these cherry type things and everything to see the lads having them in the van and then next minute they were like and this this was 9 or 10 at night and they were booting down the ski hill you know shouting and roaring at each other actually it was quite good fun S- sitting on a plastic bag with a newspaper yeah. in a kind of thing yeah well no there's actually buckets you can kind of buy these these things for doing it so, so some yeah, little sled kind of things yeah and I've seen them uh, you know the, you, I've seen them learning to snowboard and stuff like that on the, on the, on the hills and that you hear the the accents, uh, it's, a, it's a surprise when you're out uh, doing some winter activities next week you see people mm. uh, doing it. And I know there's the swimming club, I know people are in that. There's the uh, there's a whole thing this year, big thing everywhere, I think, with wild swimming and the ice swimming and that. And there's a few spots around the city where you can go swimming all winter round. And and, uh, uh, and I've seen lots of that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, people, people roll for sleeves and get involved. You kind of have to. If you don't embrace the winter when you're up here, you're really missing out. But there's also very little other things to do, you know. Yeah, I remember the very first winter I was over here, Neil, um, and I was like, the darkness, it was like, holy shit. And that was in Stockholm, you know, so like, you know, where you are, it's 10 times worse. Like the, the sun basically departs sometime in October, November, and it doesn't come back for, for a few months. Like, oh, like, I, so I often wonder uh, how. No, it, it, it's, it's not that bad, particularly when it's so white out with the snow and stuff like that. So actually, it's an yeah. easier winter for, in some strange aspects, I find it easier here than I ever did in Stockholm. Stockholm's gone, got that slushy and the sleety and the wet and it dries and it goes back again. Here you just get this, it kind of arrives and stays and it's cold and it's yeah. dry cold and it's not in your face every day and it's not raining and it doesn't melt off and get all, you know, messy and stuff like that. So actually it's a, and sometimes particularly when you kind of get into the, the February, March, when it's absolutely crystal white and blue skies and, and crisp and stuff like that, it, it is particularly beautiful. Yeah, it is very spectacular. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very windy up there. Would it cut the snot off you now going down to Consumerica on Wednesday morning? Uh, no, I wouldn't have ever. Remember, we're on the kind of we're quite a distance from the from the wild oceans. I mean, the Baltic's just a big lake. You know, there's no waves or storms yeah. coming off that. You know, you're, if you're in Finland uh, at this height or whatever, or sorry, in uh, in Norway, you'd certainly feel weather. But but you know, here here you don't you. You kind of have that two seasons a year. There's winter and that day in summer, but there isn't an autumn or a, or a spring. You yeah. know, we, we don't get the rainy season. We don't we don't have uh, that. It's actually like it genuinely goes from one to the other in about a week. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about being indoors all winter is that you can uh, have a startup. You can build it up, right? Now, a lot of people who read the financial pages and they talk about startups and unicorns and all that kind of thing. So yeah. you've recently sold uh, your second company, I believe. So you started Behaviour yeah. Sec. Could you just tell me the story about what that company was about and how long it took you to build it? 
Well, well, that's it. I mean, it's it's a startup in in practice. Here we are. Here at the moment, we're taking a bunch of students in to, to tour the place because we're we're looking for recruits. And it has the football table and the pool table, and the you know it's a startup culture. It's very Silicon Valley in the way we run and operate. It's, Nobody's it's, allowed to wear a tie, and there's nobody there on Friday. You know, the, the, I'm in the company jacket here, saying it's like the uniform for the office, that kind of stuff. I don't think I've ever. Well, actually, I have. I've seen Wolf in a tie. And know what happened? Um, uh, this is classic university spin out. Um, you know, where where actually undergraduate students had the idea. This idea that you could verify an individual by how they interact with their keyboard or, or their screen. That was way back about whatever the 2007 or so the guys came up with this. And that's when I was at the university uh, doing uh, studying here, or re- working as a researcher here. And a, a mutual friend introduced me to the two lads and, 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 you know, and I told them, you're crazy, startups are mad, security is the worst thing to ever try and innovate in. Nobody wants new shit, you know, it's, it's a crazy market. Do you know how hard it's going to be? And then I asked them, and, and what are you actually going to do? And then when they said it to me, I was like, you know what? I, I, th- I thought I'd heard and seen everything, but that's actually pretty clever. And so, you know, they, they, they set up the company. There's a campus innovation center, classic kind of journey where there's support from both the university, the regional innovation funds, that kind of stuff. And so a couple of years to build a prototype, build a product. And, and, and we went out shopping, bought for venture financing and, you know, kind of first customer. And the Nordic banks, to their credit, are actually very innovative. When you see things like the Bank ID system, it's just incredible how far ahead they are in this stuff. So we had the advantage of being in an early adopting market and finding some customers. And when you know some venture capitalists believed in us and the team, a um, big milestone. But then when one of the banks, you know, rolled us out to a million users or whatever, all of a sudden this wasn't just an intriguing, stupid idea from a university. That this was a real thing. Yeah. Around the same time, mobile phones and services and mobile phones, uh, when I say smartphones, uh, kind of took off. And then the whole way we used to do security before that with, with smart cards and calculators and all that kind of nonsense that people had back in the day um, uh, became kind of, I want to say obsolete, but kind of unusable. You can't really use a smart card on a phone. Those one-time calculators with the phone isn't a pleasant user experience. So the banks were clambering for anything else that could replace this that it was just worked better on phones and we just seem to be in the perfect spot with it so you know and then it then it was that journey and if i think about it we it sounded like we were some kind of viking hordes as we we spread from sweden to norway to denmark to belgium to holland to germany to switzerland as we you know picked up all these exciting banks along the way um uh, who were interested in it and in parallel, we'd been kicking around uh, with advanced research kind of programs, things like DARPA, which is the kind of people who invented the internet, GPS and all that kind of stuff. It's the, uh, in the US, uh, they funded some ideas of ours um, and that got us the attention of the VCs, the venture capital guys in Silicon Valley. So about four years ago, we took financing there and I moved out semi-full-time semi to San Francisco and uh, kind of built out the team out there. So, you know, that was four years ago. Um, we doubled the team, got some big names, and I'm thinking some of the biggest logos you can think of and online shopping and selling, mm-hmm. online video distribution to your house, and the banks who actually you know give you your stuff, they all adopted the technology in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. And on the strength of those logos, we, we attracted the interest of, uh, of, of the, the kind of big players in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that led to the, uh, the recent acquisition. Uh, it sounds like a clearer path. It is a a well-trodden path from innovation to to commercialization to getting this stuff there and that's what you do you kind of follow the journey 
others have taken you watch for the lessons from them and you, you you know you meet with them and you get advice and you work it and that's that's how that stuff happens but it was quite a roller coaster i mean we've mm-hmm. had ups and downs and and uh pandemic didn't really help um <laughs> lack of travel stuff like that and uh, i'm very proud of the fact that we 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 weathered the pandemic quite well kept a team didn't need any layoffs didn't have to take any government money and stuff like this and still keep the ship afloat but it was tough it was it was pretty tough yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that path you mentioned, Neil, you know, that's littered with the corpses of good ideas that didn't make it as far as you did, you know. Um, could I ask you just... Well, well, that's, that's it, Phil, actually. The one thing on that, and I saw a quote recently, and it was uh, it was from the American military, and it was like, strategies for amateurs, logistics are for professionals, right? <laughs> you really got to go at everything. Yeah, you can't just do the fun stuff. It's not all about the dragon's den and the presentation and, and the sell, but you've got to pick yourself up after losing. You've got to remember there's tough decisions to make. You've got to stretch budgets. you got to, and I went talk, I, I, I recently had to do some paperwork for a visa and realized I had done a thousand flights for behavior sake. That's planes, trains, and automobiles. That's not business class. That's sleeping on your friend's sofas. That's in two star hotels. That's in buses, not taxis. You know, you, you really have to go at it. And I'm not being a martyr about it, but that's how, you succeed in this stuff. You gotta have the, the the stamina and grit for it. So that's yeah. that's really the story there. Yes, I mean it's often when you when I talk to people like you that you come back to at the at the end of it or at the bottom of every success, it's just sheer bloody minded hard work. Yeah, yeah. You know, putting in those miles, etc., etc. You know. Well, I, I, I had on the Irishman aspect. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and someone said, "Neil, how how did you vision this stuff? How did you predict this stuff? You know, how how, how did you know this was going to happen?" Kind of stuff. And I said, I actually don't know whether it was stubbornness or just uh, uh, visionary or stubbornness. And he said to me, he says, with that accent, I think maybe stubborn. Jaw <laughs> <laughs> hit the floor. Like, is that, I can joke about it, but you can't. Yeah, you don't get to joke about that. But you that's the thing, like, it. I mean, it seems to me that ideas are good ideas are 10 a penny. But, you know, it's the execution. So that was actually a conversation I had the other day. Somebody said, oh, yeah, I'm very good with the ideas, but, you know, I'm not great at the execution. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. The execution is everything. If you have a good idea that you can I, make into I, I, I picked this up again from the venture capitalists and I've been around them way too often, you know, who also are, you know, littered with non-successes and these guys don't actually bet very well, but the stories you learn from them. But uh, particularly when I look at the university spin out, there's an awful lot of belief with the academics and the universities and even the funding of the university and everything that, that the idea that brainwave, you know, the Nobel Prize is 90% of the, 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 or 95% of the success is actually the way around. The, the idea is only worth about five. Yeah. You need 95% is getting that team, you're getting players at every position on the pitch, keeping that momentum, the funding, the discipline, the customer relations, the, uh, there's all these disciplines to come that are way not the idea. The idea is, is, is obviously important, uh, but if you don't execute on it, you, you don't get anywhere. Yeah, but but the idea thing is the dopamine as well. You have the idea and you go, "Oh Jesus, I'm yeah. so clever! I am the smartest <laughs> lad or girl going here." And then all of a sudden, but but the actual work of sort of you know getting financing, doing interviews yeah. to employ the right people, doing research, realizing no, that's not going to work. Yeah, that's there's no dopamine to be had in that. Sure, there's no, not. and 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 you know, and this this um, the analogy to sports again. I just don't think people realize the value of experience versus uh, you know the that the manager who doesn't have the medals was still in the trenches, if you know what I mean. They're, yeah, they're yeah. still the right people that you need. You won't win the game without people in every position and, and the right people in every position. That's just the way these things go. Mm. And it saves so much time and money if you know what to do. But come here to me. You mentioned there when you rolled out to a, uh, one of the banks with a million users, right? I get the impression that we've all 
come across or touched on your technology somehow without even knowing about it. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, we weren't the only people with this as well. So a couple of peers, uh, 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 competitors, uh, and I would, I would get to the point that it's either in implementation in every major financial institution and payment service are going to be, uh, that, you know, they're doing it. It's, it's, it's one of the, one of the things is there. I mean, it's, 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 it's the transparent stuff, you know, behind it, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to coop every Friday and spending a thousand kroner and you keep doing that and all of a sudden you turn up in the Philippines and try and buy a Rolls Royce, something happens. And we all know that the behavior is not the same mm. uh, and the banks take action and they phone you up. And so that time they phone you up and said, Hey, you sure it's you? Well, the reason is, is technologies like ours have kicked in and said, mm. you know what? This, this fella has a, an iPhone, he's always been using an iPhone, and today he's using a console and he's trying to do a big transaction, do something about it. So that, that's really what we're doing, just making sure your behavior is similar to the behavior you've had in the past. And the aspect we bring is that area of, of, of the, 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 the behavior biometrics. It's, it's you know, how hard you hit the screen, how much of your fingers pushing the button, how you swipe across the screen. It's, it's not what you're doing. We don't actually know what you're doing, but just the how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. very reflex and consistent so that's 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 what's there but yeah you you would all have used it and, and here if you're in sweden you've used it an awful lot yeah so. and is, is it kind of like a fingerprint because you know is there any sort of doubt neil that okay it could be it may not be do i do the same thing every time do i type a certain so, word on my keyboard the same way every time do you think so it's 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 called a biometric but it's it's not the same as a physical biometric you can't kind of pick up one and, and like it's not like a dna sample where you can pick it up and then go off and find the person around like that you know actually you know there's no personal information in it so to so to say uh you're, you're not able to with, with, with physical biometrics the concerns about them are things like you could uh, also infer somebody's age or their race or their sex or illnesses they have and then abuse that. So that, that's what people have concerns about biometrics. With swiping across the screen, you can't really do that. It's just that you swiped across the screen just like that the last time. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and it's not that it has to be bulletproof, you know. It, it's There's a bicycle lock analogy to security where you're really just making the person go off and rob another bike. If you put a, a, like a lock on your bicycle, you're not saying that that lock won't break the bike. You just got to make it so expensive for somebody to do it that it's not worth doing. Well, it's the same with your bank transaction. You're doing your, you know, your bank ID to pay for your, uh, for your bus ticket for 39 kroner. Why spend a million kroner in figuring out a way to break that? It's just not worth it. So just that, so that's what we do. So you don't have to have this DNA kind of movie CSI level, level of security you just need to have the appropriate security for the transaction and so when it's a you know a 39 kroner ticket on an sl bus and you've just popped open your switch and, and use bank id to approve it you know it, once once your behavior is fine and you, you have the pin you don't need all that extra fancy stuff you know? yeah. that's really what it plays and the majority of the transactions are in those buckets that there's really no risk to it as long as you do some some checks hmm. Now, Behaviour Sec, you announced that uh, the company has been taken over there a couple of weeks ago because you are avoiding me like a fucking plague. I was asking you to do this for months. It's gone, oh, maybe later. Oh, maybe later. And that was why. So without actually going into the transaction, what's that process like? When somebody comes to you and says, okay, I like your idea. I want to buy your company. All of a sudden, I'm just going, cha-ching. Was that the way it was for you? Or is there so much other work that needs to be done? No, it's it's, um, both the startup stuff and I watch Dragon's Den or something like that and say people just get checks from venture capitalists by just saying hello and you know showing them a PowerPoint so I just it's just not that at all. There's a massive amount of relationships and, 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 and team building and trust and, and communications and stuff. So we would have been engaged in a process I think since last November. 
Um, mm-hmm. We were at this, um, and then the last two months in particular, where it kind of moves from a, a range of people interested that are being managed and corralled into into like the one who's going to do it, and then you get into a a kind of closing process that takes months, and it's 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 it was honestly the hardest work I've ever done ever mm-hmm. the last couple of months. What made it so hard, Neil? It's well, you know, but the pandemic meant people weren't traveling. You're dealing with people in in Silicon Valley, in New York, in London, in Germany, uh, and in Sweden, and it's 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 the United Nations and there's lawyers, and it's very very detailed. I mean, it's a considerable amount of money. There's an awful lot of people get involved. Um, there's an awful lot of checks and balances, um, and also with just a particular one, you'd be sensitive enough. You know, only a couple of us in the team would would be able to know, privileged to know. And so you're kind of doing this as, the, as, and you have to run the company. So you're doing it as the night job, if you know what I mean. It's it's part of the the, the evening exercise as well. Um, and so we were just around the clock. I mean, the last weeks, I would have my alarm set on the phone for 3 a.m. and 7 a.m. to wake up to check the communications to make sure that I got in to the end of business day and then the end of the day in California to make sure we could quickly answer stuff so that the next day it wasn't a problem just to speed the process up. And I'm doing that. My finance guy, the admin guy, was just on it nearly every hour during the night, the last few nights or whatever of it, just to get this over the line. Mm. So just just an insane amount of work, which isn't your normal. Like I'm a I'm a nerd. I'm a computer guy. Like I'm, you know, mathematician to be dealing in legal contracts, HR, personal planning, you know, it's just a huge learning experience. There was one stage I got into an argument with a guy over uh, over an acronym, and I didn't know what the acronym meant, but I knew if he said it and he wanted it that we didn't want it, and so he'd argue with him. And I had to go off afterwards and Google what it actually meant, <laughs> but I had to fight because I knew our position was not his position, and you had it, and I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about. And so, you're <laughs> but I know I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he wants it, I don't want it. Kind of stuff. I I joked. There's a little bit of uh, a dramatic for effect answer that, but it is a bit of that. You're going against professional people whose day job is, you know, company mergers and acquisitions and negotiations. And I'm going, yeah, I'm a computer guy. I'm just stepping into this this realm. But it reminds me of you know, you know, trying to get money out of somebody at the end of the night in a bar when you're years ago. It's just, there's a similar tactics. It's, it's relationships and, and communication and and and. Uh, and, and take skin and stuff like that. And the odd bit of violence at the end, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite get close to that. But yeah, it, it, it would, it would, maybe would have happened if the pandemic wasn't there. Exactly, we were sitting across the table from one yeah. another. But we actually only you... met them, uh, we actually only met the people we were dealing with in all that time for about three hours in Berlin uh, near the end. Um, and that made it completely special that we actually didn't meet them ever. We didn't know them at all. Yeah. Dancing around negotiations and you've, you haven't. And actually that time, the sense of relief we all had is sitting in a room and breaking barriers and everything. You just realize how the zoomy thing we're doing and the pandemic just doesn't work. That it was the kind of seal the deal, shake the hand type of thing that, that really, really, really helped. The yeah. last yeah, that that went from maybe to yes, it's happening. Just meeting people. So Yeah. And when you do get a deal like that over the line, after all that work, after the three o'clock alarm and the seven o'clock alarm, day after day after day after day. What do you feel then? Do you feel a sense of relief? Do you feel a sense of joy? Do you feel a sense of loss when it's over? <laughs> uh, probably all those emotions. I the relief was huge. I mean, I, the the opportunity to tell everybody. I mean, like let's remember to the team here in Lulio that, that, that they're buying this for the tech and the team. 
the the investment into the team, the success for everybody. I mean, everyone's a part of this, so you know, there's great news, you know, for everybody for in, in many dimensions. But then to start offering for, against from the startup to proper career planning opportunities, our peer development center for these guys here in Lulio is in Sydney, Australia, and we've been on the phone with them a couple of mornings already. And just the idea that we'll be out there traveling, the guys here could move there, there'll be Australians here place of Dublin size there's a HR department to actually look at career plans and speak to people about what they want to do in life and all that kind of stuff so so the opportunity is great so the relief of actually getting to tell everybody was a huge weight off my shoulders absolutely that I just I couldn't I nearly you know walk in an air to actually say it out loud um very proud of it I mean uh, you know I've done it before and you know you could say you're lucky but you do it twice you go yeah I think I'm actually good at this stuff yeah so there's a bit of a pat on the back there i was super happy for quite a few of the team you know did that playing trains and automobiles have been with us a long time our average retention here for the team in europe for example seven years i mean most of these guys kind of only worked in this place ever know these people as their family and uh, it's a huge pat on the back for everybody so mm -hmm. so there's all that as well it was kind of elated for the team uh but then there's a little bit of going oh well what do we do now uh, mm. kind of feeling uh, you know making this thing a success is is pretty important to us um uh, but there's also the you know i could turn off the alarms you know somebody asked, <laughs> somebody asked me uh you know what was the first thing you did and i said i was joking with it was a delete excel i never want to see excel <laughs> <laughs> and for the mathematician that's bad <laughs> yeah, well, no. actually yeah uh, part of it is is that uh for the next couple of years i'll be very much more in a zone i'm more comfortable in as as a, as an, a you know technology guy so that's, that's quite cool you it? kind of go back now to being the technologist to being the thinker to being the mathematician you don't have responsibility anymore for career paths or for booking flights or for getting yourself into some expo somewhere in barcelona is that the way it's going to work for you I'm a little bit of that i'd still be on the evangelistic kind of show kind of networky stuff um i'll be around the very center for them and, and and not quite mathematics by the way there's enough of them around they don't need me um mm. But 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 yeah, the technology stuff, you know, the 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 the, the, the where where is this stuff going? What should we be doing next? You know, and, and just learning from the experience you've had over the years to what's what's what makes sense uh, for all this. Yeah, that, that that's what I do. But again, if I if we reflect the last time I did this, I did a couple of years as a parent company. It's quite a different place to work in a big big organization, and I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I, I still think. I possibly learned more in the two years I was with the big French multinational. I was with. Uh, for the job I'm doing now than, than, than anything else I've done. So there's there's great opportunity there as well. And yet you've been a sort of a, a gorilla. You've been able to go around, do your own thing, make your own decisions. Okay, I know that there was sort of co-owners, et cetera, et cetera. But you've been very independent. You've been very free to take this ship wherever you want to go. And that disappears the moment you sign on the dotted line. Is Has that been a difficult transition, even if it's only a couple of weeks? I know, uh, you know, this, this is a venture-backed company already, I think, I think up to about four years ago, what you would have described would have been a lot more correct. Where where everybody around this place would have you know thought what I want them to think kind of stuff. You were very much the the master of it all in the very early startup stages. But as soon as you take in money from the the investment community, you've got a job. It's a responsibility. Huge. I mean, we 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 finance nearly thirty million or something like this along the way. You know, that's serious stuff. Mm. We have a proper board and governance and and people to answer to. So no, I I, I certainly wasn't the decision maker for all aspects of stuff for the last few years so it's not that much of a change and when you put it in that context you know? mm. um, is it less responsibility now or do you feel that you have to deliver they've paid you all this money and now you have to deliver the value of that so to speak 
Uh, yeah, that's 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 a part of it. Um, to, to, on both sides, you say responsibility to the team that this is a success. Responsibility to the new owners that uh, the investment was right is is part of the game. You know, it's the commitment I've made to them. Uh, um, uh, you'd quickly get a reputation if you didn't do it. I put it like that. So it's it's it's. it's well, and actually, which reminds me, the company that has acquired us, um, uh, they kind of acquire a company every every quarter. Uh, and most of the people I've met have come in through acquisitions, and uh, most of them there many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. That it's it's it seems to be a, a quite a, a place for this to succeed, and so just to be part of that, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a pretty good sign, all right. If people are staying on, because that was actually my next question to you was when these things happen. Right, we look at Mark Little and Storyful, a great success story in media uh, out of Ireland there, and I think it was News International eventually sort of acquired them. And you go, oh, yeah, well, then he's going to do this. And you just know that within a year, there's going to be a press release that says Mark Little has left the company, right? Nah, and, um, well, oh, steady on now. <laughs> um, yes and no. Uh, quite often, some of the senior commercial people, some of the possibly CEO and, and, and the CFO, you know, may move on after the time period, but but generally the people who are in operations and teams and stuff like this have a, a much longer run at it. Um, uh, it's what tends to happen, um, um, and I don't know actually. You know, is is, is the answer? We'll see. Because it is, it's one of those things that, like you know, when you've done this twice now as you have, right? We mentioned the idea is the easiest thing, and yet now you have this wealth of experience that you've built up, you know, since that commute in, in Uppsala and those books you were reading, right? Do you have the desire? Do you have the idea? Do you have, the, you know, the, the drive to want to do that again, or are you kind of going, you know what? I'm happy now. I've kind of done. I just want to sort of coast into the next 15, 20 years of work and then leave it at that. Um. No, this is what I do. You know, you get out of bed, you got to do something. I, 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 I really enjoy this. There's two, there's two sides to that question, but I don't think I would have been any good at anything else. So, you know, that's, I don't know if I could do something else. Uh, I think I just landed in, a, in an area that, you know, suited my skill set and the timing was right. Um, um, I mean, the last time I finished, I stopped out and went back to university for what I thought was a year and ended up there for five years, you know, so there's, you know, you just don't know what it is next. Uh, you know, myself and, and my good buddy, uh, Rory do a lot of, uh, adventure motorcycling. We've done some bizarre trips and extended trips all around the world. Um, there's definitely a good extended, uh, world motorcycle trip on the cards. Uh, but that takes a lot of planning. That means getting fit. That means knowing a bit more about the bike. That means catching up with Rory and his abilities. Uh, but we've certainly got very exotic places around the world we want to see. And I think that, that that's that's an awful lot more likely now. What, what sort of places is Rory? Because this is one of those subjects we're going to cover about, you know, motorcycling in the Nordic region on another date. I'll get to both of you on. But what sort of places does Rory want to drag you off to now? Well, well, it's myself, Rory, and 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 Johan, and half the trips we're talking on is talking about where we should be going next. And and there's you know if if I say there, Johan <laughs> said you know somewhere else, and we debated an awful lot. But but adventure cycle motor uh, nirvanas are places like we did Patagonia, and we've done that before, and it's amazing. But yet you've only covered a small amount of it in a month. Mm. You know if you really wanted to do it, you'd you'd, you'd do it in three six months or so. Uh, uh, I've done most of California. I've done Iceland. Uh, but then the Australias and the Namibias and the South Africas are all these really, you know, flag destinations. And I have a particular uh, grow to uh, Turkey and Iran and, and those places, which are kind of off the beaten path, but yet have the geography 
that makes motorcycling quite quite interesting and and yet wouldn't be for the for the casual trip you really for want. the faint-hearted <laughs> uh, I, you know you, you think but but um uh you know that's part of the charm of it as well and uh that that that, that would be in sight i'd say rory possibly has the ability to do a much longer much more madness like even places like thailand and stuff like that or burma would be difficult whereas i actually think places like iran and, and turkey are relatively easy yeah well i mean you can actually get there pretty much over land from here which is a, a yeah. good help you know and um, just one last question then neil after doing this twice right after being the unicorn twice and getting discovered it's not, and, that, that, it's not a unicorn i love you <laughs> that expression i love you <laughs> that expression i know no, the unicorn is for, for something else who, 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 which which you know yeah not in our world at all so this, this, the, well, how, how would you right. describe it then if i let you describe it how would you describe your achievement um it's probably a longer answer but uh, generally the venture guys you know get a big much of money and then and split it up between about 10 firms mm -hmm. and and the, the way their successes work is uh most of them will fail right <laughs> which sounds really conversive but 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 a number of them return quite well and one of them goes through the roof Mm. Uh, so I'd like to say we we didn't we didn't win the Champions League uh, we didn't win the league but we're going to qualify for the Champions League how, how about that so that's it, that's pretty good going right now you know so yeah you know and nowadays you know back when we grew up and watched the football if you didn't win you didn't win but nowadays yeah. it seems winning is coming forth so you know <laughs> that's a new a new way but uh, yeah we certainly uh, we we certainly uh, we qualified for Europe how about that. Yeah. I remember years ago, uh, actually, when we were discussing the deal with Gil and Macmillan, as it was called Gil Books now for a parish far from home. And the publisher was an absolutely brilliant man, Fergal Tobin. He sat me down and he went, look at half the books we we put out don't make any money. They lose us money. Now, yeah. how much do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, like oh, okay, I feel bad now, Fergal. <laughs> you know, but if you can be in that, and mine actually, our air book uh, from here in Sweden actually did make money for them in the end, you know? Yeah. But if I could just ask you for one last uh, piece of advice, right? So there'll be a lot of people who are over here on Erasmus. There's a lot of people working for state agencies who maybe have startup ideas, who are researchers themselves. If they have an idea, Neil, what do you think is the best next steps they can take to turning that idea into a reality, into a business, into a lifestyle, into something that they can do and maybe you know, sell off at some later date? Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a particular... I'm, for a couple of reasons, I, I really hate the startup game. Uh, there's an awful lot of people who are in startups to be in startups, and mm -hmm. and uh, if you're if you're if you're if your passion is is that, if you think it's about the networking and the bat slap, slapping and 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 the you know kind of dragons any type of feeling, uh, you know there's, there's a fair chance it won't succeed. I've mm -hmm. seen so many people who think they're succeeding by just networking mm -hmm. and not actually doing stuff. And and part of it is go back to that 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 that, that rule. Um, where where the hard work has to happen as well, and so part of it is, is it really kind of is a case of getting customers in real business and you know bricks and mortar stuff, real you know back to basic stuff like actually get getting money from customers is is real fundamental, uh, and that's part of it is just not get yourself caught up in the uh, in the startup game. Uh, that said, um, there are great support organisations. I'd have a particular shout out, and I know it sounds like I'm kissing ass here, but the the Enterprise Ireland guys are fantastic absolutely first class i mean particularly in silicon valley their ability to help and network and finance and and introduce and give guidance and do a lot of the hard work that people don't realize needs to be done as a support organization is, is, is fantastic absolutely mm -hmm. particularly absolutely particularly in, in silicon valley 
uh, they're, they're, they're incredible and I'm comparing that to being out there with the equivalent from Sweden and being with the equivalent from France and being with the equivalent from the UK in my day so I'm actually saying it from a point of, of view of experience so tapping in and if you feel you're getting the right people the right support uh, from the infrastructure agencies you know run with that you know we are founding we, you know it was the seed capital from the university and the region here that got us going for the first couple of years and so it's it's go fine there but but like in anything like that you need to have a relationship you need to like the people you need to feel that they've got the the ability to help you uh, and and so be wary at the early stages always that you're going to like the people you're working with because you're going to be working with them for an awful long time. And if you don't feel they're trustworthy, if you feel they're, they're not quite you or whatever, then, then, then be careful of that. Well, there are very few people that I would like to exchange emails with at three o'clock in the morning, but you are one of them. Neil, thanks so much <laughs> for taking the time to talk to me. Cheers, fella. Now, Neil, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I didn't okay. warn you about this question. What was the last DVD you bought? Um... Or Blu-ray? It would have been something for my daughter when you're travelling. You see, yeah. this is what we're all saying, apart from Ben, so from, yeah. who hasn't got kiddies. But the rest of us are all saying it's a movie for our children. It was a DVD for my niece. So there you go, yeah. it's I, for his niece. Yeah, so it's something pixelar, something with high quality that you think this will be an experience for us all. That's not going to be good if, you, if you're streaming it. Neil, of thing. thanks for coming in. Thank you very much we for having me. We do appreciate it. Sure. Neil Koskin there, Chief Executive of Behaviour Sec. Yeah, we there you go, finished up there with uh, a little interview on the BBC where Neil was thrown an absolute curveball, a hospital pass of a question at the very end there. Usually those situations, you know, when you go in to speak as an expert or something, as uh, Neil was on the TV there about five years ago talking about, um, I can't remember if it was a ransomware attack or what it was, but on the banking system when they brought him in and he, you know, gave us a whole behaviour sec uh, spiel and everything else, really, really good. And in the end, uh, at the end, the host asked him about the last DVD he bought, which kind of caught him a little bit unawares, but I think uh, he did dealt with it very, very well, as he did with my questions, right? Uh, we're setting a new record again this week. I actually thought this episode this week was going to be really, really short because I've been up to my ears, boys and girls. Um, I will be back again with a new episode next week. We have a few irons in the fire, a few plans for a few people to talk about. But listen, get in touch, right? If you have a story like Neil's, and there's an awful lot of people, and Neil and other people suffer from this as well, <clears throat> You think that, you know, this maybe this isn't of interest to people. Yeah, no, it is, right? People want to hear how you're going about your business. They want to hear about your research. They want to hear about your soccer team. And they want to hear about your band and your poetry. And they want to hear about your amateur dramatics and your writing and all those things, right? So get in touch. I'll make the decision, right? If it sounds really boring, well then, no, we won't do it. But please do get in touch. And especially the women of the Irish, the Swedish community, of the Swedish-Irish community here, get in touch. Because the lads, you know, who do sort of suffer from that go, oh, no, I couldn't possibly write. But they're an awful lot fewer women who are in the community here tend to be not, not not just women in the community here but women tend to be an awful lot shyer about taking up space in these things but i, I want you to do that i want you to use this as a platform to get out and tell the world what it, what it is you're doing i'm interested in what you're doing other irish people and other people in the swedish irish community are interested in what you're doing right so get in touch Try to support the show if you can. Try to spread it. If you can leave a decent review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please do. Uh, a few words of encouragement, that would be brilliant. If you need anything from me, you'll find me on social media. But until next week, look after yourselves and look after one another. And we'll talk again very, very soon indeed.